Well, you can see and feel that you were handed um, one of the great creeds of our faith. goes back many, many years. And uh, five of us pastors are going to do a series on this, the apostolic uh, the creeds of the apostolic faith, apostolic creed. And it's going to be very, very, if it's good, as a matter of fact, uh, Pastor Rick's going to be here next week, yeah, Rick? Are you going to be here the week after too? (laughs) Yeah, you're one of the flock now, that's awesome. So I'm kicking it off here tonight. Pastor Rick's going to be here, Pastor Travis is going to be here, Pastor Kelly's going to be here, Pastor Garrett's going to be here. I'm thinking it's an eight, nine weeker, Rick, I didn't didn't really check it out, but anyhow, it should be really good. And uh, the title of the message is tonight, What and Why We Believe, What and Why We Believe. Do you know what you believe, and do you know why? I talked to a lot of people through the years, and they would say, well, I, I definitely am a Christian. I, I love the Lord. Um, I have faith in Him. I really follow Him with all my heart, with His help. But I couldn't give you the scriptural explanation And verses of why I believe what I believe. Matter of fact, it's it's even a little um, intimidating for them. Uh, I, when I was a new convert in the Bay Area, for example, I it didn't take long. I just sensed that I wanted to go into ministry. God was calling me into the ministry, whatever that meant. I just knew that. I was going to do that. And so I went to a junior college and I took a public speaking class because I thought, well, if I'm going to, you know, get up and teach people, I probably should learn how to at least get past my fear and start there. I've said it before. Number one fear in life is getting up in front of people and speaking. Number three is death. So most people would rather die than doing what I'm doing right now. And that's kind of how I felt when I took the public speaking class. It was um, uh, kind of an oral uh, book report kind of public speaking class. So the, the goal was to learn what we could learn about public speaking and then end off the semester with doing an oral book report. And first of all, the book report that I chose, because I'm a new Christian at that time, was Man in Black by Johnny Cash, which basically is his story. He became a Christian after his rough years. He came to Christ. And it's his personal uh, life story. And so I thought, well, this is a good one to read. Um, And uh, just for those of you that 
can't even imagine the thought of speaking publicly, uh, you need to know that um, if you do want to go into ministry or you do want to start to share your faith or you have an assignment at work or you're in college or whatever, just know that the first time that you do it, you're going to feel like throwing up. How's that for encouragement? I was walking up to the door of the classroom, gagging all the way. (laughs) Nevertheless, I gave my book report, and we were talking, obviously, about Johnny Cash's faith, and there was some kind of discussion that ensued after that. And uh, a woman a little older than me at that time just called me out publicly and said, how do you know your faith and belief is the true faith and belief? And I said, well, actually, that's kind of simple. Um, I just did what the Bible told me to do, and my life completely changed. My life was transformed. Now, there was something inside of me. I mean, that's all that came to my mind at the time, but there was something inside of me that said something is lacking with that answer. I mean, you're going to come across people that are far more um, skeptical and even intellectual than to accept an answer like that. So I knew that my life was different. I knew that I was born again, received eternal life, never doubted that a day since in the last 47 years. However, articulating your faith and the why behind it's a different story. So um, we're not going to read it now. We'll read it at the end. But this is the Apostles' Creed. And the first thing I'm going to do is just tell you the background and the origin and where it came from and the significance of it. And then my first assignment is to talk about the first two words, I believe. We purposely sang a song tonight, and that was the first words of the song, I believe in God the Father. Um, But I just want you to look at the creed for a moment, and in the last paragraph, I want to point something out so you understand it up front and don't think that that we're teaching heresy here, because many people read this and they go, I want nothing to do with this creed with no understanding of the value, the history of this creed that is completely biblical in truth. And that is, what do you think I'm going to say? There we go. See, I knew you thought that. So the last paragraph, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Now, first of all, notice that the word Catholic has a small c, purposely, not a large c, And the word Catholic there means universal or God's church as a whole. That's what it means. So try to get past that C word because that's not what it means, what we think it means. It just means universal or the church as a whole or at large God's church. Okay, just want to get that out of the way. Um. And so what I want to do, first of all, is... Well, let me just tell you a personal story, too, in terms of why this is significant to me. Now, I actually was raised in a Catholic church. 
And um, for those of you that are familiar with that church, you would know that it's um, uh, there are what we called altar boys that help the priests do the, the services are called mass, M-A-S-S. I think the Lutheran church, they have, is it acolytes? Uh, that's Episcopal. Uh, what is it in Lutheran? Lutheran, they have a different, I'm not sure. Anyhow, so I was an altar boy probably 10 to 12 years of age. I went to a Catholic school, a parochial school, and in my heart, I mean, I can go back as far as I remember and, and, and thinking that I really love Jesus. I really love Jesus. We, I used to just stand there mesmerized in front of the manger scene. And it was a very large church in San Francisco, probably sat 3,000 people. It was a big, big, ornate uh, church built in 1776 in uh, San Francisco. And so I remember like on Good Fridays as well. The whole place would be packed out. And I was just, my mom was a full-time nurse, and she trusted me to go there when I said I was going to go there. And I would just sit up in a balcony and just mesmerized by the what they called the Stations of the Cross. And so there was 13 plaques around the sanctuary that started with Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate and gave all of the scenes up to his final death. And they would dramatize it, you know. They would have Romans with spears and purple robes. And I just, as a kid, I was going, wow, this is something else. So I believed as far back as I, I can remember. Um, and one of the things we had to do, a couple of things we had to do as kids, 10, 12 years old, is we had to memorize the Apostles' Creed. Like if we didn't pass this test, we couldn't be altar boys. Okay. And there's some truth to that, even goes further back in terms of the necessity of knowing this, specifically as it related to people in the days of old that were baptized. They had to have this memorized. This was part of the service. And so I can, and then I had to memorize the, the church service in Latin, if you can believe that. Um, at least my responses to the priest. If he said a prayer, he would ask for a response. We would have to say it in Latin. Had no idea what I was saying, but I was saying what I was supposed to say. And so as young kids, so if you have children, grandchildren, that even go to this church, um, you would be amazed at what they can memorize. Amazed. I believe that the Jewish children, actually, um, in order for them to um, grow in their Hebrew faith, I think by the age of five, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe little boys, girls, I don't, I'm not sure about the details, but they had the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, memorized. They started at age five. Now, I might as well throw this in while I'm at it. I was just told a couple of hours ago that Debbie, who oversees our children's ministry, is because they're doing the same thing. Matter of fact, this is one of the rare occasions where every age in this church is learning the Apostles' Creed. So the children are starting to learn it today, or the teens are starting to learn it today. The children have been working on it for a while, and Debbie is bribing the children and is going to give them a $25 card if they memorize this. 
So I go, what about us? Well, that kind of benefits us a little because maybe they'll hit us up less. You never know. 25 bucks for your children to memorize this. That's going on right now. And you know what? Those are the kind of briberies that are, that we call them holy briberies. No, we don't. Because he'll, they'll never forget it like I never forgot it. I didn't get $25 and I still never forgot it. So the first thing I want to do is just talk about the origin of the background. Like where did this stuff come from? And uh, then I'll get in uh, with the, the phrase, I believe, which talks about our, our faith. First of all, creeds, the apostolic creed. Creed comes from the word credo, C-R-E-D-O, which simply means I believe. So in essence, what we see here, the apostles' creed, we are reading what the apostles believed, taught, and wrote. Okay? So creed means I believe. Another word for that or phrase for that is faith. And they're both nouns and verbs. So your faith is not only a noun, but it's a verb. It's active. It gives evidence. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and so it was the apostles' belief about what Jesus taught them, which they transmitted to us, what they taught as apostles, and what they wrote as apostles. Um, it's very important to know, though, that the creeds are not a replacement for the Scripture. Nothing replaces God's Word. It's just a summary or a statement of faith, if you will, about what was taught by Christ and what the apostles learned. And there were some very, very smart reasons for it. Um, these belief statements reveal God's plan of redemption for his people, God's work in creation, in the world, and the hope that we have through the work of Christ, for those of us that believe. Okay, 2,000 years... Christians have been citing this very, very creed. Maybe in a different language, but for 2,000 years. Greek, said it in Greek. 2,000 years. And so it's been held to very, very dearly, and it summarizes all of the points of our faith that are dear to us and we believe. So if you're one of those people, for example that say, you know what, I don't like going to Thanksgiving with my family because I'm inevitably asked a question about my faith and where I got that from and blah, 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 blah. Or maybe you're going to college and you're getting a little bit of pushback when people feel that you're Christians or you have old friends that can't believe the change in you and think you're crazy. Yet people are asking you, it is essential that you know this by heart because this is the gospel in short form. Now, for example, if you buy a relatively new car today, you not only give get a manual that's very thick to understand your car, how it works, how to fix it, where all of the parts of the car are at, 
but you also get a summary book of the car in short form. So in 2016, my wife and I bought a Hebrew, bought a Hebrew. (laughs) It's kind of similar, Subaru. We bought a Subaru and we noticed in the glove box that there's this heavy, it's probably 350 pages, about 350 pages. I personally have never read a manual from cover to cover in my life. Unless you consider God's Word a manual. I've done that. But I've never read an entire... Unless it was... Well, never mind. I've never read a thick manual in my life from cover to cover. My wife's done it several times. Matter of fact, she's really good at it and likes it. I don't understand it. However... Now they come up with a quick reference guide about your car. 25 pages. Be similar to uh, the Dummies Reader's Digest or whatever they call that. Kind of, you know. But this is my style. And so it will tell you everything you need to know about the essentials of your vehicle. But if you want to get into detail, you go to this. The Apostles' Creed highlight the essentials of our faith in the gospel in short form. So think about it. If you memorized it and someone asked you about your faith, boom, you're there, that close to the gospel. And that's why they had it. A lot of people in those days were not intellectual. They couldn't afford a lot of... uh, um, I mean, they couldn't afford manuscripts and reading material, and they were, they were uh, you know, not that well educated. But when they memorized this, they knew the gospel and the essentials of their faith. Um, so I don't want you to be nervous or scared. We're not a cult. We're not going to start wearing robes. And we're not going to... St- I better stop right there. Okay. Now, why is it even necessary to have a creed? Because a lot of people say, well, we got God's word. That's all you need. And that is true. That is true. Ultimately, God's word is all we need. We're talking about simplifying the tenets of your faith that you can grab onto, enjoy, think about, and share when you have an opportunity. Okay? The earliest creed was three words. Jesus is Lord. And so after he rose from the dead, and we knew that he was the risen king, he was the Lord of lords and still is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And so if you go to the catacombs today, now if you were to go to Rome, to this day, They have miles and miles of underground tunnels, and they're called catacombs. About at that time, there was severe persecution of the new Christians. Nero was a crazed madman. Matter of fact, he set set Rome on fire and blamed the Christians. And that's what persecution sort of was ignited and, and began So if you go in the catacombs, the believers went underground. They huddled together. And these are amazing. I mean, you have to see it. Because etched 
in the walls, the granite walls of the tunnels are carvings of fish, which has always uh, pointed to Christ, and bread and crosses, so to speak, all the way through the catacombs. So as far back as we can go, we know that they were stating a creed. Jesus was Lord was the first one, and it has grown through the years after that to this. And then there's other creeds. Uh, Nathation? How do you say it? Nicene. Nicene Creed. See, Rick, we really miss you here when you... <laughs> He's my professor and my pastor. <laughs> Yesterday. Okay. Um, and this was so significant, this creed, this belief was so significant that these early Christians gave their lives over it. For many, they were told to deny their faith and their belief system and bow their need to Caesar. They refused to do it. And when they said Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, they knew that would probably be their last words on this side of heaven. That's how seriously they took it. These are our forefathers that did this. And there's a straight arrow from them to us. The thing that links us is our walk with Christ, the word of God, and these creeds that they chanted to their last breath. It's very serious. They took their lives in their hand when they claimed these things. Another reason for the creeds was that there were some divisions that started to happen in the church. Different standards of belief. Different nuances in their faith. And so the early church fathers said, we need to come up with a clear creed that's very concise not only to assure us of what we believe and what we stake our lives on, but also to correct error, the error that was out there being spread among the church. Now, you know the gold standard and where the canon essentially uh, was born out of was the gold standard of what books and how we authenticate what truly is Scripture was the teachings of Jesus and what the apostles wrote about him and in their letters. There is no other standard, there is no other Bible that identifies what we believe. And so that's our standard. And so there was divisions, and so they came up with this creed, which is right out of the Scriptures, to verify, no, this is truth. That is error. And if people say that's closed-minded, cool. We need to be closed-minded when it's the truth. Say what you want to say. Also, in the early church, they quoted this creed, as I alluded to earlier, during the baptism ceremony, and they couldn't be baptized unless they knew the the specifics and the principles and the tenets of their faith. And once they did, then they were surely baptized. So it was very much, in the earlier days, a part of the baptism ceremony. As these creeds grew and became more vocalized, 
the Roman government uh, wanted them, the church leaders, to start to show them their key tenets of faith or their key principles of faith. And so, you know, the leaders of the church decided then, well, there's some things that they won't be bothered, uh, some beliefs that we have they won't be bothered by, and other beliefs we'll lose our life over. And so they presented that to the Roman authorities, knowing what they could be up against. And then as time went on, Constantine in 313, who was the Roman emperor, made Christianity a state religion, and I think for the most part, heavy-duty martyrdom and persecution, for the most part, as it was happening then, up to then, ceased. And he went to the believers and asked them to bring the manuscripts in, choose the manuscripts that they would want to have written out for people. We'd have a printing press then. So written out on papyrus paper for people to be able to read together because the government was going to pay for all of that. And so it just grew and grew and grew. So some of the benefits, before I get to I believe, here's some of the benefits of this Apostles' Creed. Number one, they define the truth of the Scriptures. Clearly define the truth, and you'll see it when you read it, when we read it at the end. They define the truths of the Scriptures. And Jesus said, the truth shall set you free. Now once again, when you read that it defines truth, automatically on the other side of that coin, as I said, it also displaces and confronts error or mistruth. And that's the second reason. We live in a culture that... It's been happening for a long time, but it's getting worse. We live in a culture that rejects absolutes and truth, God's absolutes and truth. You can be whatever you want to be. You can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. So they reject the absolutes of God's word. And these reveal that. Okay? Another benefit, let me get my papers right here, is that they provide the rules and the standards for God's people. I would say that the creeds, once again, short form of God's word, are guardrails for our life of faith. You know, when we drive over to the coast from here, the windy road, I always get the, the mixed up. What highway is that? It goes over to the coast? 191. There's a 299, there's a 199, there's a 199. Okay, so if you get around those hairpin turns, 15 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour, there's guardrails everywhere, and we're glad that they're there because they keep us safe and they keep us from going over into the river. These creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the principles of Scripture, the Gospel, keep us safe, take us where we're going, and protect us from false teaching, which we just learned out of Thessalonians is absolutely devastating to the soul of people is error and false teaching. And then there's a last reason that this is uh, beneficial, and this is a phrase I want to read. 
The Apostles' Creed are more than a word, are words on a page. It contains the faithful witness who have finished the race faithfully. We have a blood-bought relationship with our brothers and sisters who went before us. We joyfully desire to stand in the same faith with them all the way back to the apostles. So this is a tether all the way back to our forefathers. That's the other thing that's really sweet about it. And people all over the world cite this creed. So it's to build your faith and hopefully enhance your witness when you want to share your faith. I'll get to that in a a little bit. So, um, like I said, Apostles' Creed, Creed, Credo, simply means I believe. And I believe and faith are one and the same. It is both a noun and absolutely a verb. Let me explain. First of all, it's repeated three times in the Apostles' Creed, and it has to do with the Trinity. I believe in God the Father, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Okay, It's active. It's not simply um, historical knowledge. It's an agreement. When you say, I believe, what it, what it entails, what it suggests, is that you agree with everything that the Word of God and this this teaches, this creed teaches. It's an agreement that you stand with the saints of old, with the apostles and with Christ, and you believe everything that the Bible teaches. That's what it means. It's an agreement. Okay? It is not... I took a class when I was a new believer uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, an evangelism class. And for months, we would meet maybe six months, and we learned how to share our faith in a very, very concise way, not pushy, you know, nothing like that, just a clear, uh, a clear portrayal or presentation of gospel principles. And uh, we were taught, because what we do is someone would come to the church and we'd send them a gift and a Bible and say, you know, if it's okay, we'd like to come by and get acquainted with you and talk about the scriptures or whatever. And people would invite us to come over. And we'd go in and share the gospel. Many came to Christ. Some didn't. But it was what we did for years. I cut my teeth on that. But one of the things that we um, said, because we talked about saving faith, you have to have saving faith in order to have eternal life, which is the same thing as believing or having faith. And one thing that we emphasize is we are not talking about the belief that says, well, I believe God exists. Or I believe uh, some of what the Bible says. Or I believe that there's a God, I just don't don't know who he is yet. It's not an intellectual assent. It's not an opinion. It's a fact. And so what I used to say when people say, well, I believe, I believe in God, or I believe in Jesus, and I kind of had a sense that they really didn't believe like the way we're talking about it, I would say, well, you know what? I also believe that Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president, but I never met him. You believe that Jesus was a great teacher and a wonderful prophet, You never met him. 
So that kind of belief's not the kind of belief we're talking about. We're talking about something uh, a lot more powerful. We're talking about complete truth. We believe in complete truth. Yes? Now, that doesn't mean you can't have doubt. We all go through our seasons of doubt and go, I'm not sure about that, or Lord's not answered my prayer, how come he's doing that, or why would God uh, cause me to go through all kinds of affliction and suffering, and, and we go on and on and on about that. But the bottom line is we believe in complete truth because the Bible talks about why we go through affliction and loss and heartbreak, and it even talks about why we have doubts. So um, it's also an active trust. It doesn't mean, and Rick has said this for a long time, it's not about, it's not, faith is not that you know about Christ. It's that you know Christ personally. And it's active. When Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me, that's not just knowing that he was a historical figure. That's action. That's like, I'm living for you now. You called me. I lay down my life. You lay down your life for me. And you're calling me to lay down my life for you. I pick up my cross and follow you. That's belief. That's the belief that these tenets are talking about. There's nothing um, stale about it. It's always moving like the Rogue River. It's active. There's ongoing evidence. If you have true faith and you believe, then it's going to be evidence through your life, through your words, through your friendships, through your priorities in life. It's going to be seen. It's going to be felt. Maybe to the point that some of your friends don't want to hang around with you anymore. You know, I'm a very social person. I always have been my whole life. And I had what I would have referred to before Christ, all kinds of friends. At least I thought they were. Until I came to Christ. When they found out I was putting God first in my life, and let's say maybe I had 15 really close-knit friends. There was only one left standing. And then he came to Christ, and he became a pastor. So... Well, here's one thing. It, there's a lot of reasons to come to Christ, but one of them could be for sure. If you have some friends you want to get rid of, come to Jesus. He'll take care of that. <laughs> there's a motivation for you. <laughs> so there needs to be ongoing evidence of your faith. Don't care what you say. Want to see it through your life. So when I was taking this evangelism class, we had an illustration of what saving faith or I believe actually looked like. And it was an illustration of a kind of a tightrope walker who had a cable that went across maybe one of the narrow parts of the Grand Canyon. And he stood there 
And the people gathered around him. This was an event. People knew that he was going to do something very heroic. And he had a wheelbarrow there. And he said to the crowd, Do you believe I can walk across this cable with this wheelbarrow? And he looked at one young woman there. She was standing there. And he asked it about three or four times. And she goes, Yeah, I know you're, you're very good at this. I believe you can do it. He said, okay, get in. (laughs) Get in. It's not enough to say, oh, I believe in Jesus. You know, most Americans say they believe in God. Doesn't look like it to me. And so the Lord Jesus, when someone comes to faith, he says, pick up your cross and get in my wheelbarrow and trust me with your life. It is a heart commitment It is a complete and total surrender. And you belong to him wholly. And he belongs to you. And that's worth living for. It's kind of like marriage. You know, when a couple gets married, they generally, they court you know, they date for a while. I recommend it. Um, we have some pretty fast shotgun weddings that I can recall through my lifetime. But generally, there's a courtship. You date a person for a while. But you're not really committed. A lot of young people, a lot of older people, a lot of people in rest homes shack up together. They're not committed. They're not committed. Why? Because there's always a back door open. There's always an escape hatch. There's no commitment there. So um, a lot of believers know about Christ, and they like the idea of being forgiven and having eternal life, but they're only dating the Lord. I believe means you walk down the aisle like you do getting married, and you say, I do. And usually, I use the illustration of water baptism as that moment where you stand before everybody and you go, no, this is it. I'm standing before witnesses. I'm standing for Christ, and I confess my faith in him. I'm going all the way with this. No more courtship. I'm signing on. And another illustration that's good about faith, I believe, is I used to say, you know, to people that are going, well, what does it mean? What does it mean to believe? What do I have to do? And I would say something like, well, let's put it this way. Up to this point, you said you've kind of, you've really not wanted anything to do with God? No, no. But but you're interested now. Yeah, I want to learn more. I'm, I'm interested. I go, I go, okay. So up to this point, you've been riding down the road of your life in your own car, you're behind the wheel. Giving your life to Christ means you scoot over and you give him the wheel. And he takes total, and and I, and then I usually say to him, you know, I mean, doesn't that make sense? Have you been pretty reckless with your life anyway? Most of us have. So like, why do you want to stay behind the wheel? You've made a mess of it. So you get over in the passenger seat, and he takes the wheel. 
The only thing we got to work on is quit telling them what to do behind the wheel. Turn here, go there. No, this is the wrong spot. I want to go back. That doesn't work. Yeah. Talking about behind the wheel, this is a little sidebar. It has nothing to do with apostolic creed. But someday I'm going to write a book called Marriage Behind the Wheel. Is that, do you think that'd be a good book? Very relatable. Okay, so ongoing evidence. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. If you want to read a chapter in the scriptures that talks about what faith, I believe, really looks like, go to Hebrews. In Hebrews 11, 1, I'm reading out of the Living Bible today. Um, makes it very, very clear. I'll just read a few verses. This is Hebrew chapter 11. Uh, we refer to this chapter, many of us, as the hall of faith because it goes through all of the saints of old who had strong faith and gave their lives up for their faith, for Christ. Um, like in ways you and I will never be called to do. It shows you that their faith was a verb. Verse 1. Faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even if we do not see it. Faith is the reason we remember great people who lived in the past. Um, it was by faith we understand that the whole world was made by God's command. Pastor Rick will talk about that next week, I believe. God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. It is by faith we understand that the whole world was made by God's command so that we see what was made by something that cannot be seen. And then verse 6, it goes on and on and on. Uh, without faith, this faith I'm talking about, I believe faith, without a heart commitment and a trust, and putting your whole life's weight, as Rick and Travis say, your whole life's weight down on the gospel and what Christ did. Without that kind of faith, verse 6, no one can please God. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is real and that he rewards those who want to find him. That's the kind of faith, when we read, I believe, that's the kind of faith we're talking about. It's not just words, dead ink on a piece of paper. It is a life force, a gift of God that has changed us forever. The other thing that I want to uh, bring your attention to before I close is that part of our faith is to be shared. And once we truly experience the Lord Jesus and his grace, um, the most natural, yet I can say um, frightening thing for many, but the most natural thing for us to do is to want to tell people about our faith as well. And so there's a passage I want you to turn to. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, New Testament. First Peter chapter 3 probably one of the clearest verses on how to share this dynamic faith of ours. And actually, it, it, it brings more of a relief than most people think. 
15. But in your heart, respect Christ as the Holy Lord. Now this is the type of faith that Peter says we need to share. Okay? We're not knocking on doors. We're not thumping people with Bibles. We're not threatening hell. They get that later when we go through expository teaching in the Bible. Because that's part of the gospel. Always be ready to answer everyone who asks you to explain about the hope you have. It doesn't say go out and grab anybody by the throat. It doesn't say carry a sign. It doesn't say kick down the doors. It says be ready. So for those of you, just pause here, for those of you that have a lot of guilt because you don't spend a lot of time sharing your faith with family and friends. Stop it. Just ask the Lord to give you the opportunity to share your faith and it will come to you. You let all that guilt go. Let it go. Because the enemy of our soul, he'll parade around in our mind and say, you call yourself a Christian? You're ashamed to even share the gospel. What kind of believer are you? Then you start doubting that. So I'm telling you, when the Lord wants you to share your faith, the opportunity is going to present itself. And then Peter says it's even more passive than that. Be ready to give an answer to those who ask you of the hope that lies within, but answer in a gentle way and with respect. That's evangelism. And so when we're confident in the Lord and when we learn to grow in our belief and can articulate it, the Lord will send people to you. Don't feel guilty anymore. That's a ploy from the enemy. I find that the older I get, of course I'm a a pastor too, so that probably helps, but you know, people come in and say, I want to know more about this. Tell me about Jesus. I'm gonna, you know, that's like the, one of the greatest days for a pastor. It's like, all you do is pick that piece of fruit. It was, right, it was hanging fruit. But people will come to you. The very people that maybe once mocked you or checking your life out, hearing what you believe, they may just open up and start asking you questions. And then you just tell them, do it with gentleness and respect. Don't do what I did to my brother and his wife when I was a fiery, young, ignorant, in love with Jesus believer. I simply told his wife that if she didn't come to Christ like I did, she would go to hell. And my older brother and my father talked about it, and they told my mother, you tell him that if he ever comes into this home again, both my brother's home and my parents' home, and talks about Jesus, they never want me back. From that day, I never said another word. Another word. Yet they've watched what the Lord's done in my life. 
for the last 47 years. So um, we need to back off on some of that. Gentleness and respect. Okay, let's read this together, gang. Let's do it on three. One, two, three. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he arose again from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen.